thank you so much for joining me. Um, we're here to talk, spend the next hour or so talking all things information governance in the NHS. Um, I am Jen Howard, so I'm the Director of Risk and Compliance for Evolution. Evolution are a framework supplier across the NHS for all sort of technical roles. So I'm here to facilitate the discussion between you information governance experts. I know most people in the field don't like that moniker, but I'm going to use it anyway. You are experts. Um, we're going to talk about everything to do with information governance, but specifically we've talked about um, how COVID has impacted information governance, how it's changed in such a, a short period of time. I'm going to talk about the importance of collaborating in information governance specifically, um, how the creation of ICSs has created challenges for uh, this function specifically. And finally, um, how we engage people at all levels in understanding the importance, all the different stakeholders that you guys interact with, some will more naturally be aligned with your messaging, I'm sure, than others. So how you overcome that hurdle. Um, as I said, I'm Jen Howard. I'm the Director of Risk and Compliance for Evo and the Data Protection Officer for the Evo Group. So I wear two hats often. Um, I would like to ask each of you to introduce yourself, tell me your role, a little bit about your role, some context for it, so I understand sort of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And then we'll get straight into the discussion talking about the impact of COVID. So um, Diane, do you want to go first, seeing as how you're first in my window? Yeah, no, I'm very happy to. My name's Diane Gravett. I'm the Information Governance Manager and Data Protection Officer at Dorset County Hospital in Dorchester, which is way down on the south coast. It's an acute trust, about four and a half thousand staff, four, four and a half thousand staff. Um, Dorchester's quite a rural environment, you know, seaside's near Weymouth, the seaside, it's quite a small place. It's it's an interesting one because um, an information governance manager does the information governance stuff and the data protection officer is a more independent role to um, provide assurance and guidance. Um, we'll use that word expert guidance, um, but it's very difficult to be a, a full expert in IG because it's such a wide ranging and complex subject. So um, I wear those two hats. Yeah, I can imagine that's challenging. Um, Loretta, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Loretta Bradley. I am currently the head of information governance at the CCG uh, with the um, uh, additional role of DPO since that that came about from GDPR. Um, so I work across the whole of Nottingham and Nottinghamshire um, clinical commissioning groups in the NHS. And um, I think three and a half years I've been here. Um, since I've been here, it's been a constant state of change um, with mergers. And um, just when we thought we'd settled from six CCGs into one as of last April, we're now looking at moving into the world of ICS with um, an additional merger uh, announced last week with um, the smaller CCG um and um sort of uh, council area of uh, bassett law so um yeah i've been in ig for 16 years before i sort of did a bit of business continuity a bit of it um you know i was, I was quite junior then so i was just sort of picking everything up but i, I have done a, a data protection um degree and i'm a qualified qualified librarian 
Um, but I'm just interested in pretty much everything across IG. And what I love about it is the variety of it. Um, and I don't feel necessarily I'm a particular expert in one area or another, although I know that I've got weaknesses in um, some areas that are particularly technical. Um, but yeah, really happy to meet some colleagues who um, are facing the same sorts of challenges. Thanks, Larissa. It's so interesting. I, I find information governance and data protection is the one field where people regularly eschew that expert badge, even people who are so experienced and so knowledgeable because it's so broad and you're always learning and people are always like, no, no, I'm, I'm not an expert. Please don't refer to me as that just yet. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Sam, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Sam Smith. I've been working within IG for about 15 years now. Um, I, before that, I was an auditor. So I was always very much a very straight-laced and follow-the-rules kind of person, um, compliance-based. So I suppose IG fit quite nicely for myself. I've worked in both the public sector and the private sector. I started at Leeds Teaching Hospitals. I was the DPO there eventually for a few years. Um, 16 and a half thousand staff. When I left there, I went to work in the, pri the private sector, hoping that I'd be able to pass some of that knowledge and some of the skills that you learn within the public sector. And then I sadly found out that it doesn't quite work exactly that way at all. And then hurried back to the public sector um, I am presently an IG consultant for Norfolk and Norwich University Hospitals. I work as a consultant there and I support the um, head, the DPO and the head of information governance. Thank you, Sam. Um, yeah, really interesting. Um, public versus private is a it is quite a different environment from information governance. Um, okay, thank you all. It's great. We've got a great idea of who you are and your um, your backgrounds. So I wanted to start the conversation with um, how COVID has sort of affected information governance because I know COVID has affected everything within the NHS, of course. Um, but I'm really interested in. We've had a period from the private sector. We've had a period of rapid change of having to adapt to a new normal and with that all the rules going out of the window as you alluded to Sam in the private sector the rules were fairly fast and loose to begin with but we've sort of had to set aside a huge amount of that governance and assurance and risk-based approach to sort of just get things done and I wonder has that been the same um, for yourselves and what have the challenges been what you know sort of where are you at now I'd like to hear from all of you on that so um, so I don't know who's comfortable going first on that question I don't mind um, Wonderful. One of, one of our biggest problems was the speed of change and the assumption that because the information commissioner's office aren't going to be looking quite so closely, nothing mattered anymore. So we don't need to worry about that. We just need to do the do. And it, it was understandable that people felt that, um, oh, well, that's OK. We just need to do this because this is real urgent and, 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 and is an emergency. So the rule book goes out the window and it was quite a challenge and still is to get people to understand that that hasn't gone away. Yes, people's health is important, but their, their data health is also important um, and we are accountable. And, and that's the main thing for us um, compared to the public, uh, the private sector is our accountability lives are at the end of it. Um, and the NHS can't afford to be sued. They can't afford 
data breaches. They can't afford to have the public's trust um, dented. I mean, the recent thing about the GP data grab has, has definitely put people on, on the back foot in terms of, well, well, what are you doing with my data? So it's easy for practitioners in the coalface to assume it's not important, but actually it's become even more important, I feel, during COVID. That's so true. And can I ask, as someone navigating that, from the very start, did you think um, we're in crisis mode, but this is still important? Or was there a point where you sort of accepted it and then you got to a place where you thought this, you know, this is going to be a crisis for, for quite some time? Or was no, it right, right from the, start? the beginning, once, the, the, once the, 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 the processes were changing and remote working was coming, it's like, we have to stay on top of this because this isn't just isn't this isn't a pause this isn't going to go away we need good practices now um, and that didn't align with the technical experts who are trying to fix the remote working and the solutions and the seeing patients um, from a distance um it, well we can just use whatsapp can't we no we can't well we zoom's fine i'm sure zoom's fine no it isn't no, no, there, there are really strong reasons why we need to be extra careful. So, no, it, it was never, well, it, maybe it will be important later. It was a case of, no, if you're going to bring about changes without going through risk assessments and, and processes and writing it down, how are you going to pull it back? Once people are used to doing the new do, then you're going to really struggle. And, and one of our processes post um pandemic if there ever is a point at which we go right we're post-pandemic is okay we've brought in these new emergency sticking plasters technical solutions or whatever which ones are we going to keep and are we going to use the ones that we're using in the same way because now everybody's used to doing it this way how do we then pull that back and go right we're not going to use a tent anywhere anymore oh no we are going to use a tent anywhere but only for these types of of, 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 of meetings. So there has to be an evaluation um, of everything that we've thrown into the mix in the last 18 months to see if it's technical ones and, and process driven ones. Is that still appropriate? Because some of it's been fabulous for patients. Attend Anywhere has been miraculous for patients who, who can't get into hospital easily, who um, have the technology. And, and yes, brilliant. Uh, you know, maternity patients, oh, all of those. It's really important. But is it now the best way? And, and if it is, do we still want to do it in the same way? And I'm not sure that there's many people who are aware that we have to do that evaluation and, 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 and as a trust or as an organization, as, as a system, what's still right? Sorry, I do talk. No, no, it's, it's really interesting. It's like, it's trying to put the genie back in the bottle, isn't it? It's almost, um, we've already done this and now we're trying to evaluate it. It's fascinating. Loretta, I could see you nodding along there at some of the points that Diane was making. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots to talk about really, and I, I can relate to a lot of what Diane's raised. Um, you know, sort of my thoughts were actually, um, I mean, there was lots of the, you know, crisis, emergency, sort of like, oh, all bets are off. So we've got to do this because people are dying. Um, you know, IG, SMIG, um, we, we've got to do X, Y, Z. We, we were pressurised to make things a bit more streamlined and to, to cut a few corners without creating too much risk. So we did um, condense, if you like, our DPIAs and our sharing agreements to sort of capture what we needed 
um, that we could, you know, rely on coping notices and things like that to to progress. But then it was enough information to be able to monitor and then review when things were changing. Um, and, and I was kind of wondering, actually, has it done much for the profile of IG? And I seem to feel that it has, even though, um, you know, I mean, there's always the people that don't necessarily buy into the importance of governance around patient and personal data. Um, but I feel like even though we've had this sort of emergency, this influx of new technologies and new ways of working, that, you know, that the IG still has a place. Um, and so I think we've had an opportunity to educate, particularly people almost at board level, and I know that's on the agenda to discuss today, that it really still has a place and we've been able to explain why. Um, we've had quite an unusual um, widening of the types of services that we've needed to look at. So we've had an influx of volunteers that want to get on bicycles and drop COVID tests off to people's houses. Um, and, you know, what needs to be on an address label and what doesn't. So things like date of birth um, don't need to be on, a, on an address label. Um, getting taxi firms that want to volunteer to make sure they've done the necessary IG training. Um, so occasionally it's seen like IG is a barrier, but um, it's also, I think, raised the profile to to get a message across, which is always something that we would welcome because it's a difficult thing to do, that IG has a place and it is about patient safety in the sense that it's about confidentiality, privacy, you know, pe people's rights. Um, and it's taken a focus almost away from work back into people's lives. So we're, we're all involved in doing IG in the NHS, but actually we've all known people that have been affected by COVID in our personal lives. And so there's a relation of what we're doing in our day to day job that we can actually get people, you know, senior management or whoever it is that has an ignorance typically to actually see where that fits in a bit better. Um, so I, I think COVID actually in, in, in some ways has been, you know, there's been an opportunity there for us in the IG world. Um, and it's also been quite interesting because it's not the norm. It's been it's been a bit of a different way of working um and um yeah i, I think it, it has opened a, a way up to new ways of working particularly with the technology that's come in but it's brought a lot of challenges we still haven't you know we, we're used to I mean, you can go back 20 years ago it's almost like we're there again does, does anybody have guidance for recording meetings does anybody have policies for this or for that and it's kind of been left with ig who are the experts to understand based on no other information out there to make a decision how it is we're going to progress what is the right answer and there's a lot of actually making our own way in it which we don't always have the, we don't necessarily have the resource to do and we're not particularly good at talking or collaborating with each other um so i think there's been lots of learning which i think has been been really good overall yeah that's a really good point though that that idea of um this new world of information governance that um as you say i i remember um you know i remember starting to look at data protection and information governance when it was still new and it was um what is acceptable what is not acceptable you know what does good look like and you get into this 
you know it's quite a tried and tested way of working isn't it of everybody knows what a dpia needs to look like everybody knows what the controls are and the mechanisms and it's all very you know you deal with new things but the i suppose the volume of new um new technologies and the way that we use data and information you know you, you you're probably navigating a new challenge every week and you know a new question to which you haven't got the same sort of resources yeah i can, I can see how that's that that can be really challenging. Loretta, you know, um, the question I asked to Diane of like, did you start, did you start from, you know, February, March, whenever it was, when this started to become clear that it, there was some sort of crisis, there was some sort of emergency um, within the NHS. Did you start it with a view of we must proceed into this crisis with that information governance at the core of what we do? You know, we must kind of not lose sight of it. Or were you more sort of let, let's let's fill, figure that out later? What, what was your sort of feeling? Well, I'm, go I'm going to potentially embarrass myself now and I don't know, but I would hope that somebody could relate to it. I think it was St. Patrick's Day in March um, before the, the full lockdown on the 23rd. Crikey, I don't usually have a memory that does that, but um, it's obviously there ingrained. And we were talking about at that point working from home. And I did work from home occasionally. Um, I wasn't set up. It was a laptop on my knee on the couch. And I stayed like that for a year, by the way. Um, but I sort of said to the boss, well, I'm going to go home then. Oh, this is great. So all the meetings for the next six weeks, all the steering groups and all the they're all cancelled. OK, great. I'll be able to get that records management project sorted finally. that has been going on for 10 years. Um, and that was that was my naivety Um, it soon became apparent it wasn't going to be a two week lockdown. It wasn't going to be, you know, a short term thing. And I think I, I, it was second week, third week of April and all the work started to come in and I realised it wasn't going to be quiet. It was going to be busier than ever. And there was still day job stuff to do as well, of course, Um, that we realised, yeah, it, it was it, it was a case of no you can't just do what you want with the data but let's work together because it is an emergency we are short of time we have got an, an additional work to do and work to do that we might not have capacity to um you know make sure that the IG is in place and that we're supporting and facilitating people to do that as well as to get on with the you know the, the life or death stuff if you like or the, the very um, urgent stuff and everything was urgent. in IG it's always been urgent because IG often is an afterthought it's always it should have been done yeah it is and it's always been the same as far as I've um, experienced although I think that things are getting better slowly but it it is um, it is often an afterthought and I think people were coming up with the approach in IG before they were going off with the data in the most part they were they were quite good um, but um, you know that that still needed that's that IG still needs to be in place um, and it was often us chasing our tails and often working retrospectively actually having the conversations understanding the risk in the first instance saying okay verbally you know the idea the concept's great let's just put it in an email and now let's work up the DPIA and the sharing agreements and the like and we can do that because we just had to make do with what we got really and trying to minim minimise the risk as best as we could. Yeah, and I think that pragmatism is super important for exactly what you were saying earlier of the, the credibility and the profile of IG. If you can be seen as an enabler to do things safely rather than a blocker of things, you know, that that's really critical to getting people on board. I'm conscious we've lost Sam. I think um, she was having some connection issues earlier on. So I'm hoping she's going to rejoin us, but I'm just going to continue um, with you guys because I think it's really interesting discussion. So um, I think it leads us 
quite nicely on that that conversation around the importance of collaborating in information governance because the the fact is that um, whilst you set the rules, you set the guidance, you determine you know what should and shouldn't happen, and you help to facilitate things to be do, done well, you aren't necessarily the only people who are directly. Um, interacting with patient data who are putting these things in place so collaboration is an absolutely critical part of the function isn't it so so what does that look like for you um diane do you want to do you want to speak to that first so we can yeah, give sure. loretta a chance to to um have a glass of water <laughs> um so i moved to dorchester on the first of november i was in salisbury before that and there hadn't been an ig person in post for quite some time and I discovered that there was a uh, east-west Dorset divide that I hadn't been aware of. And there were it was historical relationships that had soured the pot at some point in the past. And I have determinedly and ruthlessly insisted on collaborating with all of my IG contacts across the piece, the whole Southwest, everything. If, if I've got a question, I put it out to all of them. If they want something, I'll share it. If, if you know, yeah, we looked at that. Here's our DPIA that I have. I refuse to be small minded in any of this. We're serving the same people with the same intent and, and we need to don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. If we can talk um, and share, then we're more aligned. So we've got a one Dorset um, in, uh, integrated care system which obviously everything ramps up from the 1st of April 2022 but we already have one in place that we're working on so we do have a lot of pan Dorset projects that we all need to talk about and what's happening is what has always happened IG being the afterthought as Loretta says it was normally IG and, and procurement who would be told at the last minute oh we're, we're, we're buying one of these um do what you like with it um, so increasingly the technical side is being sold the this is the big idea this is how we're going to solve it technically won't this be great and and idea is still very much the um, afterthought so I am deliberately and maliciously collaborating with everybody who will listen so that we have a unified front because as I say it, it's the same game we're, we're not we're not power struggles. We're, we, how do we have? How do we serve our communities? And um, and I find that that's working because I'm coming from a, a point of of no ego. It says, what is best for the patient? And is that the key? Is that the key to that collaboration? That well, kind I of what your intent is when you come into that. You, you oh, come into I those believe so. I believe so. It has to be, uh, and it's how I run my whole life. But it's it's what's best for the lowest common denominator in any subject. And if we get caught up in, oh yeah, but we this and we that and you this, no, no, okay. So step back from that. What's best for, and and how do we move forward? Because I don't have to agree with data protection laws. I just have to make sure they're complied with. So I can be as maverick as I like in my personal life. But this is, what's the lawful basis? What can <laughs> evidence? And what's proportionate? I mean, there's lots of lots of other things, but what's the lawful basis? Is there a lawful basis for that, that information to be shared? Okay, happy days. Let's demonstrate it. No, there isn't, then no. 
Yeah, it is so true, especially that point about um, not necessarily agreeing with data protection laws, um, because I know in the private sector, that's definitely something that we have where you'll have. Um, so we have to do this thing. Well, why should we have to do that? That feels cumbersome. That doesn't feel like something we should have to do. It doesn't feel like it's reasonable. It's like, OK, I, you know, I complain to your MP. But for now let's just crack on and comply with the laws that have been put in front of us i can completely see that um loretta what about yourself how does your collaboration what does your collaboration look like and and how does it work yeah um i probably can't say anything that would be um you know novel novel to you you you, you both will have had the same experience that i have with collaboration i mean i do feel like with diane's just speaking there it, Sometimes I feel like getting a T-shirt printed out with those questions on, and you know <laughs> that is a great that. show. Well, I think there might be a bit of business that we could uh, talk about collaborating with there later. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, I mean, look, the NHS um, is a huge organisation. I think we've been doing IG longer than anybody else. Um, I've worked in the police as well and their IG wasn't anything like what the NHS moved from the police to the NHS and and was delighted with the frameworks that the NHS had in place um, and, and I think the finance sector is quite similar with, with the tightness. I got very frustrated with the ridiculous £35 fines that the ICO used to dish out on occasion. I mean, you know, it'd probably cost them more just to process that fine. But now we're in a new world and people are starting to wake up and it's been a slow awakening. But we're all doing IG and, um, you know, the private sector have been forced now to have DPOs. And, and so the collaboration opportunities are amazing. But, you know, I mean, working back in the early days of the toolkit when IG started to become a thing in the NHS, you know, we all sat in broom cupboards uh, on our own, reinventing the wheel, you know, creating the same training to be delivered, policies, all that sort of stuff. I, back in Birmingham, where I'm from originally and where I worked for most of my IG life, um, you know, started to talk to the same as me and other NHS organisations and we set up teams that were absolutely vital we dished the work out so that we we wouldn't all be doing the same thing and could sort of collaborate because there wasn't any interest in it back then there wasn't any investment in it not from where I sat anyway I know it wasn't the same everywhere but in the most part I think it was and those now actually developed they've not been scrapped they've actually become more valuable because they've become these sign groups which now there's a national sign you know um uh, a strategic information governance network we've still the west midlands one still called rigpay the regional information governance network which i think they're going to change the name of to wm sign like it's em sign east midlands sign over here um, and collaboration is important i mean we're moving into ics worlds maybe that's a segue to the next uh, topic but we're starting to collaborate more across you know private sector as well as local authorities and you know we we need to be learning lessons we need to be sharing resource and ideas and we need to be looking probably for a bit more consistency in what we do so i've just reviewed somebody's dpia and they're in a private sector and I, as soon as it was sent to me i thought well we're not going to look at that because i need it in my template because they won't ask the questions and actually, and I do know the person that is the IG person over there, and it's only just dawned on me who it is. Um, uh, we spent a week together uh, doing a, an ISEB once upon a time, and um, they moved from the NHS into this um, 
other organisation and their template is perfect. And it's one of the first times I've come across a private sector DPIA template that I'm not going to put my own in place now. I'm going to use theirs because it's half done. And, you know, I don't want to want to really be causing work for anybody. God knows we've got enough. So that I think we need to be collaborating more. We need to be networking more. We are all experts in different areas that come together. We can be formidable, actually. Um, and I think that's only going to get better, but we have to be open to it. And we we have to make sure that there's a driver within the culture, maybe at a high level, that it is OK to use somebody else's template. It is OK to operate in a different way as long as it's meeting the requirements. And 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 as you say, be pragmatic, um, because I, I just think that there's no other way. And 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 we've also got all these wonderful technologies now that support us to do this better. We've got this 365 stuff coming through SharePoint and we, you know, what I, I know <laughs> I'm feeling the pain right now. Um, but it, 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 they're tools that when we get them right, they can Absolutely. facilitate. Absolutely. They're going to be brilliant um, and yeah. they are a difference, but it's just the ramping them up and trying to get people to understand and one drive is going to drive us mad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to share your views perhaps outside this meeting on that, Diane, because we are going through that right now. That it's really interesting and it's definitely worth it's definitely worth touching upon because that the new technology piece is so incredibly difficult. Something that we find is, you know, tools, technologies are ubiquitous, aren't they? You know, like um you were saying earlier about, you know, surely Zoom's okay, surely WhatsApp's okay. These tools become so ubiquitous, they're so standard, they're so um sort of blue chip corporations that you're fighting against the tide to try to have them implemented in a way that fits with what you with what you need to happen i think the collaboration with um with the private sector is a really interesting piece because i think um from the outside looking in it feels like that is a new dawn in terms of ig within the nhs it does feel like there's a you know there's there's a lot to figure out in that because we seem to be collaborating at scale and at pace a lot more with the private sector which is a positive thing but we need these kind of um, rules train tracks if you like to sort of govern how we go about doing those things um, I do think that that's that's really important it's really interesting um, you mentioned about the creation of the ICSs and what's interesting is you mentioned it from a positive perspective um, I've heard a lot of um, challenge with the creation of ICSs so Diane, did you say that you're you're already on that journey? Well, we have one. I, I don't know what shape it's going to take after the 1st of April when they become legal, legal entities, but we do have what's called One Dorset as, as a partnership, as an integrated care partnership and um, with, with the police, with the ambulance and, and social workers. So, yes, we do. Um, the, the, uh, everybody thinks the NHS is one organisation. They, <laughs> they expect us to be an integrated care system. So, it, and, I, and I understand it's a retrograde step in some ways to some people's mind, and if it's not too hierarchical, it, it's going to transform things. But, but the public do think that the NHS is one organisation. Yeah, absolutely. I can completely see. Um, but going back, sorry to interrupt, okay. um, Loretta's point about being in the police, we've done some work with the police, and of course their point of focus is different. They're trying to look for mm. perpetrators uh, and to protect people but they're looking for perpetrators whereas we're looking to make people better and 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 the, the there's tension between that well well did someone tall dark and handsome come in with a gun well you know which of your patients has had a 
knife wound. Well, you know, how many of your patients have suffered domestic abuse? It, it, it's they're, they're a different. They're coming at it from a different place, and theirs is the right place. But that's where there is tension in terms of who needs the data and for what purpose. So if it's a fishing exercise, it's really not doesn't fit with what we need. But if it's a supporting um, a criminal conviction, yeah, you, you know, how do we do that? Yeah, it's so true. There's such um, there's such ethical boundaries there, aren't there? Such quandaries, um, because it all sounds great in theory and quite straightforward in theory of you know information sharing and you know sort of everything being joined up. And as you say, that expectation that um, the NHS is one organisation, but we saw from you know the the GP data issue um, recently that actually that you know the the public wanted that quite separate that was kind of you know that that's viewed in in a more private way they view that data in in a more private personal way than potentially you know data when they're being treated on an acute basis in a hospital or or such like so yeah it is interesting the information um, the government's come out with about that the language that they have used now absolutely makes sense and the guarantees that they're putting on paper make sense but the way it was done with the lack of transparency and the headline stuff and the way people ran off with it, um, it completely destroyed something that should. And, and the, the, the ethnic issues around COVID it is the real marker for saying why this is a really good idea. But the language that was used um, by the press was just very unhelpful. It's so true, isn't it? It's that... Um... It's that piece of articulating the reason why is the most important because otherwise it doesn't feel transparent. It's true of everything. Do you think the creation of ICSs will help information governance? Loretta, I'll ask, I'll ask you, do you think it's going to be a, a positive move overall? Are you allowed um, to say no? Sorry, I might have just asked you a question. I don't, I don't, answer I don't know. I don't, I don't know because... Um, I think I think what lies behind it is good intention and 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 a positive concept. And I and I might even argue that this should have been done 20 years ago. Um, what's proposed on paper, how it will work, is a different matter. I've been through a lot of cycles of transition. So I've worked in a PCT. They got abolished, turned into CCGs. I worked in a mental health trust. I've worked in an acute hospital, and we've all been through change. And I started by saying, didn't I, that I, well, I've been in a constant state of change whilst I've been in the CCG. What I get worried about is, you know, the time and the effort and the resource that gets put into all of this change, um, and and yet there are no guarantees that it's going to do what we're object, you know, the objective is, um, but. I suppose all we can do is is try to improve. I think, you know, the issues with the NHS are way above my pay grade and my understanding with the political and and you know, um, it should be simple. You know, I, I can I I look at IG when people say, oh, this is really complicated. We've got loads of data controllers and processors, and we don't know who's who's a processor and who's a controller. I think data protection often is black and white. Just tell me what I need to know, and it will it almost tell you the story itself. Um, but with the NHS, it's a lot more complicated. I think it should be more simple than it is. Um, I, I only hope that it's going to bring improvements. I have had brilliant experiences as a patient in the NHS. And similarly, I have heard 
about people going to tribunals um, where there's been negligence cases and all sorts of things. And, and that's just an appalling place. And I remember back to the Staffordshire inquiry um, and I just hope that we learn. And I don't think we're as good as learning as we, we could be. I hope that what we're moving into is a better world for every patient and also for the NHS as a whole and that we continue to be a you know a world leader in 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 healthcare in what we've got is very precious and I hope that we can hold on to it for generations to come um ICS world I, I'm no expert in it we still don't know how this is going to look I'm just deciphering at the moment what the new bill means for the IG team on that level it's so high up there's a lot of interpretation um so I can only speculate I, I honestly don't know and I just hope that this change will be the last change for a while because it does work and I think that's in everybody's interest. Yeah I can see that. Diane what do you think of that? Uh, absolutely Loretta's absolutely nailed nailed that. Um, it's what happens on the ground. If, if what happens on the ground is that good intention does make it more joined up, does help the people who fall through the cracks and that's what we're trying to protect are the people who fall through the cracks. We're not trying to protect the people who are fully competent and can rock up and get the care that they need. We're, we're, we're trying to help the people who struggle to get the care that they need when they need it. Um, and, and I think it's quite hard for people like us to really appreciate how difficult that can be we're on technology all the time. We know how it's all joined up. We, you know, oh, well, we'll go to the GP and they'll refer us to this and then we'll get one of those and it'll be fine. For, for a lot of people, that's just, that's that's too many bridges too far. They, it, it's beyond their comprehension. They rock up in a, in a hospital environment and they cannot function because they don't, they're overwhelmed by all of it. And I think it's very easy for intelligent, articulate professionals to, yeah, a real handle on the, the measure of confusion being unwell and, and the options in front of them are. My father-in-law, um, he's 85, and we've now decided that one of us has to go to the hospital with him because he just he doesn't understand what they've said or he doesn't remember what they said or he's misunderstood or his takeaway isn't doesn't support his care and... And, it feels and, impenetrable, doesn't it, for people? It feels like a hidden system that they don't have the key to and yeah. they can't quite unlock. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so yeah. I, that for those people, that's why the yeah. ICS, hopefully that's how the ICS will function best for those people. Yeah, it's really good that we're sort of, there's a positive you know, if it goes well, then it'll be a positive change. I think it's natural, I suppose, for there to be a degree of caution or uh, scepticism even, because as you say, the, the scale and the, you know, just the pure volume of change that the NHS has been through, and, you know, as an organisation, it has to adapt and it has to change. But um, there is a value, isn't there, of, of things being being sort of steady for a period of time. And if I can say, Jane, one of our biggest problems, I'm sure Loretta will agree with me, it's the, the distance between clinical and administrative. Trying to deliver the clinical solutions and administer them. And sometimes um, that, that, that gulf is huge because people are looking at the problem from different areas. And so it's really hard to make that bit joined up. 
And is that um, because that, one of the topics we want to talk about is engaging people, you know, in, in all different sort of scenarios with regards to information governance. So is, is that purely a, um, you know, it's not my problem. My problem is delivering this clinical solution or my problem is this thing. And they just don't appreciate the wider context of information governance. I think it's worse than that. I think it's pressure. I think I think the clinical staff are under so much pressure and now even more than ever, but always always um if you think pre-covid it was well why why are these patients waiting all of this time and can you justify why these patients who've possibly got cancer not been seen within six weeks and can you demonstrate what how many ed patients are being seen within this percentage of this whatever and and, and so the whole at the slas that the nhs were expected to meet at a yeah. clinical level um were un, unattainable and unsustainable in most and, trusts and so was was information governance seen as something something that could be issued in order to improve the pace at which clinical solutions would be delivered just or just not even not even it's something there's another oh my god i've got to do this mm -hmm. it's a barrier i think that we you know it's very difficult that um we're still in that world where the majority of people particularly clinicians still see information governance as a barrier and i think we're slowly you know demolishing that that hurdle um but i think we've still got some way to go um and and i think that's what information governance professionals have always had this uphill battle with um that the two cannot be separated they go hand in hand because they're all about patients welfare and interest and yes you've got their physical health but you've also got their mental welfare and if you haven't got trust from a patient um in how you're managing their data they're not going to um utilize you as a service for their, their best health so so you you can't provide good health if you're not instilling trust in patients about how you're going to handle the data the two can't be separated but we've got some work to try and get that understanding across that's so valid do you think there's parallels to the health and safety um sort of function that i remember working in health and safety many many years ago and it was seen as a uh, box ticking exercise it was seen as a reason why you can't do something um when again it was you know it was all about how to do it safely it feels like information governance is in the same sort of place in in trying to break down those barriers and trying to yeah, really get people to I mean Jenny I, I often talk about information governance now is where health and safety and actually in between business continuity because they're almost it's an insure it's almost like it's an insurance that will never happen type scenario well we've always done it this way why have we got to do this now what value is it bringing so health and safety used to be like that back in i don't know the 80s 90s i guess maybe before then but that was sort of start of my working yeah. career in the 90s and the noughties um and then it was business continuity which i was heavily involved in and i could not get any appetite for business continuity and understanding assets was my first introduction to if you don't know what you've got how do you know what risks you've got um and then when sort of data protection needs to be applied you know if you don't know what assets you've got how do you know what laws apply and how can you demonstrate compliance so i absolutely compare it with that and i'm just wondering what's going to succeed information governance as the new thing that uh, people think is red tape so to speak 
Yeah, it's so true. I'm conscious of time. We had such a good discussion. I, I really appreciate your time. So we've got a few minutes left. So I wanted to just put um, a couple of quick questions to you, if I can, just to um, just to get your thoughts. So um, a couple of these questions have come from yourselves. A few of them are mine that I've sneaked in because I want your views on. Um, so I'll just ask you. So um, Loretta, what? Um, where where or what are your best resources for staying up to date with changes to legislation and best practice what do you use to, to know oh, what yes. you're supposed to do i use the government websites i am pretty much linked into some of the better um uh legal firms who are brilliant with their newsletters and updates i link in with our sign nationally and um uh, locally and I still am connected to my old sign in the West Midlands Um, they've they've allowed me to stay I said well I did kind of found it so really <laughs> should be allowed to stay but I think that again that keeping that collaborate just because you're somewhere else um, I remember being in Birmingham wanting to collaborate with East Midlands but I didn't quite know how to get in um, NHSX are finally like well done to them finally doing something um, where HSC, uh, HSCIC sort of fell down. They've got a real good information governance team now and they do fortnightly webinars which will update you. Um, there's private organisations out there, like I don't mind sort of naming them, there are all, all others by other names available, um, but <laughs> places like PDP and, and DPP, um, the Data Protection Privacy People, the uh, Privacy, oh, do you know what, I'm going to get confused now, but there, there are these people who are the four seers, and a lot of IG people that have been around would have remembered Dillis Jones, and God bless her, she died last last year, the year before, I think, and um, I really miss her annual updates and networking, and unfortunately nobody took over from her, but there are some other organisations out there, and this sort of thing, you know, meeting new people and sharing ideas, absolutely, that's how... I managed to stay up to date with with what's going on. And um, I mean, when you're in information governance and you've been there a while, information generally does find its way to you. Not not in every case, but in terms of what's new on the press. But you do need to know where to look. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree with that. That the importance of a network, I don't think, can be overstated. Um, especially in something I think information governance is quite niche, particularly. Um, you know it. Obviously, it's it's massive in the NHS, but in terms of if you think about all of the topics that are covered generally around legal compliance, all of those different things, you know, it's it, it's not it's not a mainstream to, mainstream topic. So I think having a network is invaluable. Diane, is there anything that you use over and above what what's been mentioned there? I've got a really good bunch of people on LinkedIn. Um, some of them are IG, some of them are cybersecurity, some of them are other. But, but I find that they're really generous with their time. They share some really interesting stuff that I might not find. Um, so I think that for the for the unexpecteds, that, that I can sometimes find them there. Um, I subscribe to a variety of things, the same as Loretta, where the danger is that, that you throw the baby out with the bathwater because you've got to sit down and look and, 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 and check and... Um, and read stuff and then go okay is this genuine is this is this a perspective or is this something useful so there's a fair bit of filtering because um everybody's got an angle and often they want to sell you a thing um <laughs> yeah linkedin is 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 massively well again you know we got sign i'm still part of the wessex information group forum um that i was part of in salisbury so um the, geographically i moved from sort of Dorset to Hampshire, Wiltshire, and then up 
up country a bit further. So um, yeah, it's network, network, network. And it's been a chat. Well, it's been a challenge and a blessing actually in in this um, world of remote working. You actually have access to people more easily that you didn't bump into before. So you, you, you're challenged to think further outside the box and that, that can mean that sometimes you contact people like Loretta and I are obviously going to hook up after this um, and, and, and we'll, we'll stay in touch. Yeah. And so that, I think that, that it's been, it has been a blessing in its own way. It has, but then it's one of the things that I've realised is I relied a fair bit on those um, get, you know, 300 people in a conference centre and everybody, you know, has, I, I relied on those a great deal to just sort of by osmosis you make new contacts whereas it has to be a little bit more conscious now I've got one final question for you both if I may um, and it is um, a little bit more off topic but if you had somebody who's starting their IG career what's one piece of advice that you would give them as they're starting out that you wish maybe wish you'd known or you think would be of value to them that they may not realize at this point don't mind who goes first <laughs> well I've, I've had a number of apprentices and individuals and um, I've, I'm really passionate about information governance if I've got an enthusiastic and capable individual who's young an apprentice I, I've tested their appetite for IG and I, and I describe IG to them as Marmite um, you'll know if it's for you and if it's for you, it's an amazing career path and you can go and specialise in any area you want and you will never be out of a job. Um, but if it's not for you, well, I think life's too short. Go and find something that you like doing. That's what I would say. That is great advice, though. It's it's not something you want to just keep trying at, is it? You either love it or you don't. Diane? Um, probably to be curious but to be curious with your mouth shut. <laughs> really, um, Michael West did a fabulous piece and, and, and what I took from him more than anything was to listen with fascination. We've had a couple of youngsters pass through a moon Salisbury and they are very cocky. Well, I know a bit about it. I know a bit more than everybody else in the trust, so I'm this. And it's like, whoa, it's not that kind of game. You really need to take the time to find out um, and understand it, it, it's it's by creep, it's by osmosis, it's face on the ground, you know, go and work in all of the departments, go and sit in all of the departments and see what happens day to day, see what happens in the reception desks, see what happens in the admin teams, you know, that be curious, investigate but, and listen. It really reflects back, doesn't it, on what I said earlier about um, people not wanting to call themselves an expert in this field. And I think it's because once you've got that experience, once you are at that level, you realise how much you don't know or how much there is still to learn and there is still to improve on. And interpretation. Often it's interpretation. And I might approach something from a, a slightly different place and go, oh, I don't know. I'm happy with this. Okay. Yeah, it's so true. Do you know what? It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you both. I've loved spending the last hour talking about information governance. I wish I could just do this instead I of actually. Jenny, you know, and yeah. all, all week. Uh, it's, and it's been great. And I just want to thank you, Jenny, and your colleagues for inviting us into this opportunity. I, I've really enjoyed it as well. 
No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm I'm all for raising the profile of information governance and all things compliant and you know things like that. So I will um I'll share sort of some snippets from the recording. Our lovely marketing team will wrap them up and into sort of things that sound quite sensible and coherent, and we'll share them with you before we do anything else with them. But um so good to talk to you both. Diane, sorry, do you want to speak? Thank you, Jenny. I just want to say it, I think for, for me, IG is remembering that there is a person, a patient, a mother, wife, daughter, brother, sister, father, at the end of every decision you make, every way that you behave, there is a person at the end of that that could be impacted negatively.